Hey podcast people, how's it going? Azrin the Language Nerd here. Hope you're doing very, very well on this fine Wednesday afternoon or whatever day and time it is for you right now as you're listening to this podcast episode. I'm your host as per usual, Azrin the Language Nerd. You can find me primarily on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, LinkedIn, and of course on Twitter and TikTok if I didn't say it. <laughs> My username in all these platforms is identical. It is at polyglotazrin. That is spelled P-O-L-Y-G-L-O-T. AZ or Z depending on your country, R-E-N. You can also simply search Azrin the Language Nerd on whatever your favorite social network is. Again, that is spelled A-Z or Z-R-E-N, the Language Nerd. And welcome to another podcast episode. I am very, very excited as per usual to be recording this one here. There's a lot of different things I want to touch on in this podcast, so let's dive right in. The first thing has to do with a blog post that I wrote yesterday. And it's more of a general life observation, something that I believe in tremendously. I have a very busy life. I have a lot of things that are going on. So yesterday, for example, my day started at about 9.30, 10 a.m. And I was back, I was booked back to back with meetings, teaching, um, prep, prepping for classes. Like I was just booked back to back to back to back to back all the way till about 11.30 p.m. So it was an extremely long day. And those kinds of long days are not uncommon for me. I often, most of the time actually, at least on let's say Monday through Thursday, I start my days at 10 o'clock in the morning and they finish at about 9.30 or 10 p.m. So they're long days. Fridays are pretty long too. Fridays are like a 10 to six kind of day. Saturdays are at least minimally 12 to six, often a little bit longer. Um, There's a lot of stuff I have going on. On top of that, I have a good level of balance. Like I spend time with my family. I watch TV. I sleep seven to eight hours. Like I have a lot of stuff that I try and fit in my day, both personal and work, which therefore means I'm usually scheduled back to back for most minutes of a day. And because of that, you know, whenever people see my schedule or they hear of this, this, that, the other thing, often one of the questions people ask me is, Azrin, where does your energy come from? How do you have so much energy? And I want to talk a little bit about that because I think there's some learning points that can probably benefit some of the people who are listening to this podcast. For me personally, I think the energy comes from, number one, I I enjoy what I'm doing. When you're doing something you like, it's easy to do it a lot. You should see me on Sundays, right? On Sundays growing up for my, during my lifetime, um, we used to have cleaning day. In fact, we still have cleaning day. We clean the house every second Sunday. I hate cleaning. I, I, it's one of my least favorite things to do. And cleaning day, I am exhausted all day. I, my head starts to hurt, I don't feel good, I'm, I'm like sluggish, I don't wanna clean, I whine and complain. I don't like it at all. It's not fun. And because of that, if I had to be cleaning, if I had to be cleaning every single day, for example, I'd be tired most of the time. I would not be able to consistently keep up the kinds of hours I typically keep up and the the busyness that I keep up during my day-to-day life. So I think one of the factors is that I like it. And one of the things that I I try to encourage people to do, you know, as much as possible, everyone's got their different life life circumstances, but as much as possible, I think it's important to try and maximize the time you're putting into things that you enjoy doing whether it's a hobby, whether it's a sport, whether it is your work, maybe it's languages, maybe it's whatever it is. Maybe you enjoy watching some TV, like try to maximize those things that really bring you happiness. Be mindful, I'm gonna go on a tangent, be mindful that you're not shooting yourself in the foot for the long term. 
Meaning there are certain things that bring short-term happiness, but definitely bring long-term unhappiness. A great example would be like getting super drunk might make you happy for an hour, but makes you unhappy and like hungover and your head hurts and it's, it's not a good experience for four hours or the whole next day. So be mindful of the short-term happiness decisions you're making. I think that's important. You know, and then we can go in extreme examples like drugs, for example, might make you feel good, you know, for an hour or two or however long drugs make you feel good for. I don't do drugs, so I wouldn't know. But obviously in the long term, it's probably not a good thing for you. So be, be smart about what you're doing. But as a general whole, if they're wholesome, healthy, okay things to be doing, yeah, try and maximize your time and maximize the time you're spending towards things that actually bring you happiness. I think that's important. For me as well, one of the things that I've realized about myself is that at this stage in my life, I, um, one of the things that make me, that makes me happiest is being productive and making progress. I've mentioned this on the podcast before progress and productivity are one of the, are two of the core things that make me happiest in life. And so I enjoy keeping myself busy because that genuinely makes me happy. So I think for me, a, a big thing is trying to be as self-aware as possible to figure out what are your core pillars that genuinely make you happiest. Like what kinds of things are they? Is it singing? Is it being productive? Is it learning something new? Is it swimming? Is it going for a walk? Is it, and trying to figure out how you can take those core pillars, right? And, and try to implement them as much as you can anyway in your life. It can't be a perfect scenario. And then of course, number three, and this is the really big one for me, um, I'm, I think I'm lucky and I recognize how lucky I am. I come in, I was born into a good family. I, have a, I had a good upbringing. My mom and my sister are around. They haven't died because many people, I was watching a, on Netflix actually, there's a documentary right now uh, about Kevin Hart. Uh, many of you probably know who he is. He's a very famous individual and he's got a documentary on, on, um, on uh, Netflix. And they mentioned how he lost his, his mother in 2007. When you do the math, I actually was curious how old he was in 2007. So I looked up his birthday and how old he was. I did the math. He was like 27, 28 years old. That's how old I am right now. I'm 27. Am I 27? Yes, I'm 20. Am I 27 or 28? I'm 27. That's how old I am. That's basically my age, right? Like I cannot imagine what that would be like losing, losing my mom at 27. Like that's crazy. That's, that's so young. So I feel very lucky that I still have her around. I still have my sister, right? Even in that, in that documentary, Kevin had a father who was, you know, doing drugs and when he was growing up and I didn't have that, that situation, right? I'm lucky for that. I didn't grow up in a bad neighborhood. I grew up in a good neighborhood. I have food in the fridge. I, there's so many things I'm lucky for that I just, I, I almost feel, it just makes me happy because I feel so lucky. I feel like I have so much. It's kind of like if I had 27 cakes and 27 cakes, none of us can eat 27 cakes in one sitting. 27 cakes or a million, like a hundred cakes. It's so many cakes, right? And you know, if you lose one cake, it's okay. Like it's, this, I feel like there's an abundance right now for me anyway. So that's a really big factor too. And then myself, the other big thing, and this is more as to a lot of where my energy comes from. There's so many things I want to accomplish personally, personally and professionally that I have not done yet. And that drives me because I, for me to accomplish the things that I want to do personally and professionally, I want to try and squeeze every single minute. I want to try, I want to do that. For example, you know, personally, one thing I'm not very happy about right now 
is I would like to be someone who is in tip-top physical shape. I would like to be someone who's super flexible, very strong, agile, has good endurance. I want to be someone like that. And I feel one thing I'm not happy about right now is that I'm not putting in the, the appropriate efforts to be able to do that. I am kind of active, a little bit, but again, it's not the kinds of steps I need to be actually taking. So that's a big thing that, that sits on my mind. And that's a personal thing I need to try and figure out. Work-wise, you know, I, I need, if I want to sustain myself in the long term, meaning if I want to, like, if I want to achieve my financial goals, I need to earn more money. If I want to achieve my professional growth goals in terms of how many people I want to be teaching, I'll need more students, right? I need, there's a lot more I want to accomplish that I have not accomplished yet. Meaning I have to squeeze every minute while still being healthy. And so, you know, at least for me, I mean, I just want to make sure it's, it's on the record. Like I sleep seven to eight hours. I don't do drugs. I don't drink alcohol. I don't even drink coffee. Like I don't do anything that would enhance my energy. Uh, you know, I try, I try my best to keep my system as clean as possible. I mean, you know, and these are some things that are, I wanted to kind of mention. So I think the big thing I want to kind of maybe wrap up this part of the podcast on is I want to encourage everybody to do your best with the hand that you're dealt. All of us have different life circumstances. Some of us had abusive families. Some of us have gone through divorces. Some of us have kids that we now have to watch that maybe you didn't even want to have. Like, who knows? Like everyone has, maybe you're sick. Maybe you, maybe you're, maybe things are really, really good. Maybe, who knows? Everybody has their own circumstances. But I think trying to do your best with what you have is something that all of us should try our best to do. Does that make sense? Like tomorrow I could wake up and I could lose so much. Like there could be a house fire and I lose both my mom and my sister and the house. Like that's, that would be a major setback and my life would never be the same. And who knows how I'll handle that? Who knows how I'll handle if tomorrow I find, if I find out, um, <clears throat> if tomorrow I find out, who knows? Like I remember there's a time, like I thought for a moment, there's been two moments that come back to me right now that have like scared the living daylights out of me. And if they had actually happened, like it would have changed my life forever. And I don't know how I would have dealt with it. Maybe I'll look back at all the stuff I've said about positivity and stuff in the, in the, in the past. And I'd be like, oh my God, like maybe if, if they had actually happened the way I thought they happened, I look back and be like, Azrin, you were completely delusional. Like who knows? Right. But I remember one time my sister fainted when she was, I was holding her and I thought she'd like died or something. Oh, that was, that was a terrible feeling. And one time I thought I had like a tumor. It wasn't a tumor. It was something very benign. And it was not a very big deal at all. It was just me. It was me thinking I had a tumor or something like that. And I remember when I thought that, like it, like it, it crushed my existence. Like I felt, I'll never forget how I felt and how I felt like a dead man walking. Like I felt like, oh my God, look at all these people unaware that life could end tomorrow. I might even die tomorrow. Like it was a very weird moment for me. I forget why I was sharing all that, but at any rate, like trying your best to make, trying your best to make the best of a, of a, of your situation, I think is important. So anyway, enough stuff about positivity, but those were definitely on my mind and I wanted to get that off my chest and I think it can help. It can definitely help some of you as you're listening to this. Now going into a language learning direction, uh, I want to talk about math and languages. I've been realizing this more and more recently. It's been hitting me 
and it's, it's finally starting to settle into my body. Learning another language in many ways is very similar to math and it is very logical. What I mean by that is learning a language takes a certain amount of time. Like I realized that as an adult, maybe not as a child, but as an adult for adult language learners, you know, it, it, no matter what kinds of strategies you're using, as long as your strategies are semi fine and they're logical enough and they're good, it's going to take all of us roughly the same amount of time to progress in learning another language. Granted, some people will progress a little bit faster. Some people will progress a little bit slower. There are going to be differences per individual. That's for sure. But generally speaking, it's going to be about the same amount of time required per person when learning another foreign language. So for example, I was sharing the other day that generally it'll take people 800 hours of guided, of guided study to achieve a B2 level in another language, roughly 800. Someone might do it in 700. Someone might take 800. Someone might take 1,000. But it's going to be rare for it to take someone 1,800 to get to a B2. Does that make sense? Like, there's some variation, but the variation is not massive. And I think that's a comforting thought. Some people, as I've been talking to people about this in my real life, some people take it in a very comforting way. Some people take it in a very pessimistic way. Some people go, oh, that's really good. So if I just like do, if I get 800 guided learning hours, I'm going to be pretty damn close to a B2. I'm like, yep, you'll be there somewhere in the range, maybe a little below. You might need an extra 100 or 200 hours, maybe a little above, who knows, right? But generally speaking, like, yeah, you're going to, you're going to be in, in the range. I, I was on the phone with a guy a little while ago. He's achieved a pretty solid A2 in less time than it typically takes, but not by that much. Took him about 150 hours. Typically it takes 200 hours, like you're in the range. So I think the biggest, one major thing that we should all try and focus on is trying to focus on hitting those hours. How many hours of studies have you done? And be careful, I want it to be guided learning hours, not random study you do on Duolingo, things like that. Because number one, the effectiveness is, while it's effective in certain ways, guided learning hours have an extra level of focus and they actually have a little bit extra impact behind them, I find. And when it's guided learning hours and you're following and you have a teacher, a supervisor, a supervisor, a teacher, a language coach, even a, some kind of program, when you have something you're specifically following, it creates an extra level of focus, which allows the knowledge to sink in a little bit faster into your brain. So get those hours, log those hours. I think that's a very powerful thing to be doing. Another language learning thing, which helped a lot of people. So I want to bring it to the podcast. I noticed people really found it useful when I shared it on Facebook. So I want to make sure I mention it on the podcast here. Um, it has to do, it's more relevant to, uh, to advanced speakers, but it's funny, right? Speaking practice, I find has diminishing returns as you get more advanced in the beginning stages, let's say low intermediate and below low intermediate and below, there is a significant percentage of people who feel very afraid to speak and they'd much rather just do reading or textbook or whatever it is. A lot of people don't really want to do speaking and speaking practice for those kinds of levels often is very powerful and often is very beneficial for them. And it helps them to improve and move towards kind of that upper intermediate phase. Now, here's the thing. That kind of casual conversation practice and doing that speaking practice, once you've achieved a B2, an upper intermediate phase, or even maybe an advanced stage, once you're at those advanced levels, let's say, there's diminishing returns and it doesn't help as much. I see a lot of people who are, 
who are reasonably advanced in a language, like upper B2, maybe a C1, like they're really strong in a language, but they want to keep getting better. And they tend to just do a lot of them. I don't know, even myself, I've been guilty of it too. I don't know why I did it. It actually doesn't make sense. But a lot of us think we just need to do more conversation practice. We need to talk more, use it more, listen to more native speakers, do it more, which will help you. But in fact, I do, I do think that it's not the most effective thing you could be doing. And the main reason why is that once you're at an advanced stage, you have enough language knowledge to avoid, to basically avoid, how do I say this? To get around the things you don't know how to say. So if you don't know how to say, if you want to say I'm angry, but you don't know the word for I'm angry, you will, you don't have to really struggle with it because your brain very quickly will just do a switcheroo and you'll say, I'm mad. Or you'll think of another way to say it as a reasonably similar thing. And because of that, you stagnate. You don't improve anymore because you're just finding shortcuts in your mind around the things that you don't know how to say. And that's why doing that conversation practice is not typically enough because you're just finding shortcuts around the stuff you don't know how to say and you're not really learning how to say those things. And, and on and on and on. And so what I believe to be better, I find a very effective thing to be doing. There's a few things for those advanced level speakers. Number one, read stories, whether it's novels, whether it's short stories, read, you're going to find a lot of words. You don't know. I promise you look, write them down, keep them in a, keep them logged, keep them tracked and in your day-to-day -day conversations, and then do some conversation practice where you consciously go and try to use those words. That's going to be really good for you. Read. I specifically push you towards fiction and not nonfiction. Fiction is going to introduce you to more types of words than nonfiction, I find is generally the case. Um, number two is I want to push you to watching different types of uh, videos or movies or TV shows where there's multiple people talking at the same time. Uh, generally, you're going to struggle with that. Even if you're super advanced, even if you're at a C1, C2, you're still going to struggle. You're still going to find that difficult. Sometimes they're gonna say stuff you didn't understand, especially when it's a comedy. Like I, I remember I was talking to a pretty, a very high level English speaker. I'm showing them a short clip from Seinfeld, the, the TV show. And it's like a little conversation. They really struggled. They understood the general gist of what's happening, but they missed the nuances because there's a lot of cultural things she didn't know. The comedy is interesting. Comedy changes in every single language. It's not exactly the same. So catching on the comedy and the inferences that are happening in that scene were really difficult for this English learner. Like, and that'll happen to you too. So you have to practice with those scenes, look up all the new words. When you don't understand something, Google it, ask a native speaker and practice using those types of materials. Another great material you can use is stand-up comedy. Stand-up comedy is incredibly difficult. I don't care how advanced you are. It's an, it's an even higher level of comedy that is really hard to understand. So I think stand-up comedy is a big one for all of you to, to, to use as well if you're at that advanced level. Those kinds of things are going to be, like if you're not a native speaker, I don't care how advanced you are, unless you've been practicing with those for a long time, it's really difficult. All those advanced strategies. And here's how I know. Do you want to know how I know? Because I know how strong I am in French and Spanish. And I can easily, I can easily find content that I don't understand everything for. I can easily find stuff and I'm at like a C2 level. Like I'm very strong. I can easily go into YouTube and Google and, and, and Netflix and I can easily go find stuff and be like, whoa, what does that word mean? Huh? What does it mean? Let me look that up. Wait, I missed that joke. What the heck? I, I didn't understand that joke. What joke did he make? Let me like watch that again. Let me rewind. Oh, is that what he said? What is that expression? Let me Google that expression. 
Oh, he's making a reference to King Louis XVI because everyone in France knows that he had this stereotype and they're making a joke on that? I didn't know that. I didn't go to school in France. How am I supposed to know Louis the whoever did blah, blah, blah when he was a king? Does that make sense? Do that and it'll definitely help you improve. Anyway, I appreciate your attention. You guys rock and we will talk very, very soon. Bye for now. See you.